Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Bill Nygut. I know a lot of you out there who listen to the show regularly really look forward to hearing from uh, the panelists who uh, do uh, political rewind, uh, because you tell me that all the time. You write me notes about how much you enjoy the observations, the analysis you get from them. And I got to say, today is one of those days I'm just like you. I want to be a listener to hear from this great panel about topics that uh, we've chosen to discuss with you on Political Rewind. So let's get right to them and begin our conversation, starting with Tamar Hallerman, my Tuesday partner from the Atlanta Journal Constitution. And Tamar, in just a minute, after I've introduced the panel, we'll lead with the story uh, that uh, you posted uh, about the latest in what's happening with the special grand jury and with efforts to block uh, everything that it discovered. But in the meantime, uh, welcome today. We're glad to have you here. Thank you, Bill. Always a pleasure. Tammy Greer is back with us, political science professor at Clark Atlanta University. Uh, Tammy, this is a big day for you. Tell everybody why. To, uh, two reasons. Number one, uh, today is the last day of classes for me. Uh, so my I'll be my graduating seniors really soon. And the second thing, Bill, is that I submitted my first book manuscript. And I am very excited Whoa. about uh, my book. Thank you. Can, can you give us a can, tell us just a bit about what it is or do you want to is that a kind of a secret? No, it's no secret. It's about everything that I love, civic engagement and civic education. And um, it's a practical uh, or applied um, book to to get folks to see how um, to create a path in order to impact policy and to effectively use um, their ability to assemble, petition and speech. Wow. What it's you talk about that on the show all the time, your deep belief in civic engagement and getting citizens involved in the political process. One last thing before I introduce the others. Uh, you're going to have your graduating seniors uh, in the room with you for the last half of our show today. So they get to hear you. <laughs> they get to hear me and I'm sure they'll come <laughs> over and say hi to everyone. <laughs> uh, that's Amy, Amy Steigerwald is back with us, political science professor at Georgia State University and incoming chair of the political science department. And Amy, you're done for the semester. All you got to do is get those grades in, and then you can have a summer of being the chairman of a department and working even harder. <laughs> Precisely. I'm very much looking forward to some of that. But it's lovely to be here this morning. Yeah, we're glad to have you. And our usual partner on the Friday show, Jim Galloway, uh, joins us today. Mr. Galloway, how are you? I'm doing fine. I, I just heard that Tamar Hollerman was going to be on, and I thought I'd come get a, a lesson on how to do radio. <laughs> I think at Jim Galloway, I've said this before, has uh, no business talking about it in those terms. He was the first, first person 
to join me for Political Rewind just about nine years ago. So I think he's learned how to do radio well. All right, Jamar, let's get right to it. Um, You did have a brand new story in the AJC that uh, I'll just give a brief uh, headline about and then you'll explain it in more depth. We know now, of course, that sometime between July like 11th and September 1st, uh, Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis says she will release her decisions on indictments, possible indictments against a number of people, including possibly Donald Trump, for their efforts to overturn the election. But in the meantime, first Donald Trump and his lawyers, and now a new party, are uh, have gone to Fulton County Court with a motion to suppress, throw out all of the findings of the special grand jury Um the Trump lawyers did that a couple of weeks back, and now uh, Kathy Latham, the former GOP chair uh, down in Coffee County, has uh, added her voice to the suit. Why don't you uh, please walk us through where we stand with all that, why these lawsuits, what the potential for them really seems like, and then everybody else can weigh in. Sure. I mean, the first is, who is Kathy Latham? You mentioned she led the Coffee County GOP, but Funny Willis is interested in her for two main reasons. The first is that she served as an alternate Republican elector in December of 2020. And she, along with all the other electors, were sent target letters last summer, being informed that they could see charges as a result of this investigation. Since then, of course, we've learned that the grand jury and DA Willis grew very much interested in what happened in Coffee County in January of 21, when Sidney Powell, who was working for the Trump campaign, commissioned a data services company, Sullivan Strickler, to go in and copy sensitive uh, elections data from, from servers down there. And surveillance footage shows that Kathy Latham was there at the elections office, let them in, post for photos with some of these guys, and was involved with that as well. Um, so... I think she she has more going on than maybe some of these other electors um, who have been targeted. And it suggests that perhaps she's more likely to see criminal charges, maybe more than some of these other electors who had more passive roles in all of this. She joined an effort, as you mentioned, from Trump's lawyers back in March to basically suppress everything in this investigation, to disqualify the DA's office from being involved, to ask Judge McBurney to step in, out, aside, to suppress the final report of the grand jury and any evidence that they have uncovered. It's a pretty substantial filing. And um, uh, most of the legal experts I talk to do not think it will be successful, but it is sort of designed to gum up the works and perhaps delay the process a little bit longer. If they're given the opportunity to appeal, this could drag this out for a good long time. Um, Judge McBurney has indicated he's going to consider Kathy Latham's motion alongside what Donald Trump is doing. Um, And it's very possible we could see arguments in some sort of hearing, maybe later this month, maybe in June, I would not be surprised to see. So certainly things are heating up and we're all waiting to see how this might impact uh, a potential indictment announcement later this summer. So Amy, uh, you've got a particular interest in your work in the courts, federal courts particularly. In this case, we're talking about Fulton County. Nevertheless, uh, I'm, I think Tamar said something terribly important. We know that Donald Trump's pattern as he faces uh, problems has always been to delay, delay, delay. And I think she made an interesting point 
that while McBurney in Fulton County may decide that the filings are irrelevant and not worthy of uh, action, uh, that, that doesn't that possibly won't stop the Trump team from uh, appealing them up and up and up. The question is whether uh, uh, the Fulton County DA's office can go ahead with indictments regardless of court action on the challenge. They will have to wait and see what it is that McBurney suggests, right? So there will have to be, right, a, a, it actually, they've done a special grand jury. There will need to be a grand jury that's convened, right? What they're trying to do here is really stop that grand jury, right, and suggesting that they can't use that information. Um, so they won't be able to act until they've gotten McBurney's ruling. Now, if McBurney rules saying that it can go forward, the Trump team would have the ability to appeal that right? because it is a question of law. And so that can be appealed. Um, and then what will happen is the higher courts will have to decide, do they say we're going to put a halt to the proceedings while we decide this? Do we just decide it really quickly or do we say, nope, it can go forward even while we're considering this? And so some of this is we don't really know, but you're right. I mean, sort of one of the the big issues here is that. The way in which um, people, particularly who are uh, well-resourced, can delay a lot of proceedings is by doing things like this. It's by filing these types of motions, having to spend the time on it. There is a lot that is thrown into this motion. Some of it is completely inconsequential. Some of it is raising arguments which, to be perfectly blunt, don't make a lot of sense. That doesn't mean that there might not be Right, something in there which does hit. It's a little bit of like throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. But part of the problem is that means the uh, burden on the prosecutorial team right now is to have to answer um, and answer as a legitimate concern every single thing that is in there, which is partly why they were given a little bit more time. Jim, uh, what's interesting about this is it, assume it's a delaying tactic just for the sake of discussion. Um, it, it, it strikes me that what it can be doing is just pushing further and further into the heart of the election cycle in 2024, the potential that Donald Trump uh, might be indicted, even with caucuses and primaries uh, getting underway. It may not come in parallel with those things, but it could come closer than, than, uh, it, than initially we think it will. No, and it, and it could change uh, an, an essential dynamic of, of what's happening to, to Trump, and that is, and that is uh, the uh, th- that that the federal investigation uh, could actually leapfrog uh, the Jake Smith uh, uh, federal uh-huh. investigation could leapfrog uh, the Fulton County investigation uh, simply because of that. I mean, uh, Smith is under a, 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 a I would guess it'd be a pretty tight deadline. To, to wrap this up before the, the 2024 presidential campaign really heats up. Uh, an, another thing, and, 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 and Tamar, if, you could, if you've got a, a quick answer on this, is the, the Coffee County uh, situation that we mentioned, Bill. The, the, the breach, the, the, just the, the authorized breach, if you will, of of the uh, of the uh, uh, the, uh, the the voting uh, uh, database uh, internals. It, that 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 has been a subject that uh, tomorrow where are we on in the, on the investigation is that actually being investigated anymore do we know anything more about it 
uh, is 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 the state taking the lead on this, or is this something that Fonnie Willis is actually now taking the lead on? Bonnie Willis can't take the lead on it because it's in Coffee County and not Fulton County. Um, and I'm not one to speak on where the other investigation is, the other lawsuit. I, I believe GBI was looking into it, and I'm not sure the status of that. But Fonnie can consider the Coffee County stuff as part, potentially part of a racketeering charge. So looking at it as a predicate act, but it, it can't be kind of central because it's not in Fulton. Um, Tammy, uh, jump in with your thoughts on watching this unfold. Well, I find it interesting, particularly if we think about Coffee County and uh, the margin of um, votes uh, that that Trump received in Coffee County. And so why even put in the effort there? So um, it's a distraction at the same time. It's um, on brand uh, when it comes to the the whole notion of, you know, all of these delay tactics. It goes into, you know, Trump's, I think, um, uh, thought process that it would become political, particularly as he uh, ramps up his uh, presidential run. And then, you know, being on CNN, uh, coming soon for a presidential town hall. Um, so all of these types of events that he is intentionally engaging in while these uh, lawsuits and, and these court cases are going through, so that he can say that it is political, so that he can fundraise off of it, so he can continue to get millions and millions of donations. There's another thing that all of these accusations do. I mean, the delay tactics, I think that might be the biggest impact, but another result of all of this is it could start help seeding doubt in the public. Um, they're raising all sorts of things that some of it might stick, as Amy mentioned, some of it might not. But they're bringing up things that will be brought up again and again by various parties should this end up in a in a court case. Um, you know, they're talking about interviews that the DA gave um, throughout the investigations, interviews that the forewoman of the uh, grant, special grand jury gave. Um, they're talking about Burt Jones's successful motion to disqualify the DA's office and the conflict of interest that Fonnie Willis had there. Um, these will come up again and again, and it's designed to help should there this end up in a trial and there being a trial jury. All you need is for one or two jurors to, to have a little bit of doubt there, and that could be enough for there to be a hung jury. So this can also help in a long game should we get to that point. All right. Um, we will, as you say, watch uh, and see how things proceed. We'll, we'll know uh, on May 15th, uh, we'll, we'll, we know that's the deadline for the Fulton County DA to turn in their response to both now what Kathy Latham has uh, had her lawyer submit and Donald Trump has dismissed. One quick other note before we move forward tomorrow. Anytime there, it, this will eventually ha have to be dealt with in open court, presumably. Uh, anytime there's a, a court proceeding that is open, uh, we tend to find out at least little tidbits of uh, what the uh, special grand jury has uh, looked at, right? So this might be a window that uh, sometime later in May will give us some more information, yeah? 
Very much so. And we have not heard from DA Willis since January, really, um, in a courtroom setting. And that's where when she said indictment decisions were imminent and she was talking about possible future defendants. So it'll be very interesting uh, to see her in court again. And as you mentioned, lots of other little tidbits. Another thing to put on your radar is we might see some more paper flying later this week as the DA pushes to disqualify one of the attorneys who was representing 10 of the Republican electors. So there's lots of little fights happening right now, and we're getting little little windows into what's going on, and um, that's always interesting to see. All right. As long as we're talking about uh, uh, Donald Trump, uh, Jim, let's move on and talk a little bit about a poll that was just released by Public Opinion Strategies. It's a Republican polling firm. Uh, but I, I, you know, I always, when we see polls from organizations that at least I'm not immediately familiar with, I, I automatically go to 538, which has a rating mm-hmm. of uh, the accuracy or the potential accuracy of pollsters. And uh, they give public opinion strategies a B plus. So they're a pretty credible organization. And here's what was interesting about their findings. While there's no question that Donald Trump remains remarkably popular among the Republican base in Georgia, even as people like Brian Kemp try to distance themselves from Trump. One of the things that this poll tells us is that in, in a hypothetical matchup in the general election, it is Ron DeSantis who does better against Joe Biden than does Donald Trump. According to uh, public opinion strategies, their results show DeSantis with 46% of the vote, Biden 41%. Uh, a Trump-Biden matchup uh, is a virtual tie. It gives Trump 42, Biden uh, 43. Now, these hypothetical matchups, we always say, are, you know, they're wishful thinking in some ways, like, like cotton candy, they dissolve quickly. Nevertheless, it does say something about the split between the DeSantis and Trump uh base that could be here in Georgia. Yeah, you had about 500 respondents in that. The margin of, it's it's just the, the, you, so you had by uh, uh, uh DeSantis performing with 46% of of, of getting 46% versus Trump's 42%. That's a 4 point difference and it's it you still have you're still dealing with a 4.4 uh, percent margin of error, so it's it's not. I I would not call it definitive, and and here's 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 the other thing. To, 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 this is a this is the beginning of a general election argument that 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 if that you should settle on on DeSantis because he has a greater chance of of winning in a Republican primary in Georgia. I'm not I, I'm not sure that we're there yet. You know, I mean, it's it's. Uh, I I, th- I think Republican primaries are are still going to be uh, very very ideological, very uh, very personality driven, and 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 I'm I'm not sure that that you have a whole lot of you have enough uh, Republican voters worried about what's going to happen in November. All right, um, Tammy, your thoughts. So, as I always say, public opinion polls, particularly this early, um, it seems to to do one thing, and that is to raise money for the person, whoever is on top. Um, what it also does, um, particularly when you look at this 
this poll is to say that, okay, let's, let's convince the general public to go ahead and to, to back up Ron DeSantis, regardless of how one feels about him as a Republican voter at this moment, and then create an argument around that. So it would be interesting to see and again, it's only 500 respondents. So considering the millions and millions of voters there are around the country, you know, this is an extremely small sample as compared to the larger um, population. So when we consider the, this particular poll and any polls moving forward, it's kind of arbitrary at this moment because we're not really sure, number one, if Ron DeSantis can make it out of a primary. And if it does, he, if he does, the contrast between him and the current president is, is, is starkly different. So that would be interesting. Amy, uh, but let's talk about this again in terms of this uh, uh, split that we see developing in the Georgia Republican Party. Uh, uh, Brian uh, uh, Kemp has moved away from Trump. He's already given a speech in front of a big gathering of uh, GOP fundraisers saying it's time to look to the future. He never mentioned Trump by name, but it's clear what he had in mind. And yet you've got, um, I, I su su suspect, uh, many Republican legislators, people perhaps like Burt uh, Jones, the lieutenant governor, all set to line up to support Trump next year. And it's going to be fascinating to watch how that develops. Very much so. I mean, I think part of what we are seeing is this sort of lingering there. It, it's hard to explain sort of trying as, as an analyst of exactly what, but there, there is a bit, and I don't say this in a sort of bad way, but more as an objective statement, that there's a cold personality that exists around Trump, which is distinct from what we see with most political candidates in a way um, that continues, right? And that seems to be... Um, independent of anything that he does, of anything that is reported. And there is this core that is incredibly attached to him. And so therefore, they are going to support him to the death. You then have, which we are very much seeing elapse, right, a split really in the party of those who are not willing to say that, who want to look at other candidates, who are concerned about these issues, who see the results from the 2020 election as, um, I would say, as a political scientist, rightly so, a referendum on Trump as a candidate and showing that there were huge problems and that particularly uh, swing voters, independents, more moderate Republicans are not, in fact, even if the party supports, going to turn out in the general election. And so I think it's that split. And it's hard to figure out where it's going to go, but it is really fascinating the degree to which there is a segment which is also taking over a lot of the very small uh, county parties, which I think is why this is also super important, that is sort of unwilling to see these ramifications as we go towards statewide and also national elections. Uh, meanwhile, Tamar, before we take a break, uh, the poll also suggests that uh, President Biden will do extremely well, not surprising, I suppose, among Democrats in a general election here, despite concerns about his age, despite concerns about his low approval ratings. There doesn't seem, there's no opponent who stepped forward in a significant way, although there are some people who think that Robert Kennedy could possibly be a surprise for uh, Biden to have to contend with. 
So I guess it isn't surprising that Biden does pretty well among uh, the uh, on this poll in terms of certainly Democratic voters. Yeah, you're definitely right, Bill. There's no kind of viable alternatives at this point to help take some of the attention off Joe Biden. And I think many Democrats, you know, might say, well, it's better than any Republican that we might be able to get. We Even if we don't love Joe Biden or are concerned about his advancing age, uh, this is the best option for us. All right, let's do this. Let's get our first break of the show out of the way. We've got a lot more to talk about with our panel in just a moment. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. I'm going to take a quick moment for a point of personal privilege before we continue uh, with the news. Um, uh, we're jumping for joy in our host, Janice and I, who are, you know, dear friends of uh, the Broadway director, Kenny Leon. The Tony nominations are out today. Kenny Leon is all over them. And we are just so excited and proud for him. Both of the actors in his play, Top Dog Underdog, nominated for Best Actor. The play itself nominated for Best Revival. Audra McDonald, the star of another drug, uh, Broadway show that Tony directed, The Ohio State Murders, nominated for Best Actress. He's a producer of the musical Some Like It Hot, which won 13 Tony nominations, the most of any show uh, today uh, nominated. Um, and, I, you know, I think I'm missing a couple, but we are just so proud of Tony uh, a Tony winner and now multiple nominee, Kenny Leon, who I think Atlanta, uh, since this is his home, even as he commutes to New York, uh, has good reason to be very, very proud of. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Tamar Hallerman, I would love for you and the rest of the people on this panel, if, if you can help me understand this story about the fact that a panel of educators are about to release a report in which they're going to change training rules for teachers in Georgia schools. And they want to eliminate words like diversity from the training and other so-called woke words. This feels like an ongoing battle among Republicans about wokeness, DEI, but I'm not even quite clear on what this establishes. Uh, help us tomorrow, and then maybe we'll turn to the teachers on the panel and ask them, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sifting through some of the proposed changes, they want to take out words like diverse um, and put similar but different words like different. And it does raise questions, like you said, of, of what they're trying to get across to teachers. And just what teachers are and are not allowed to say, the types of tones they're allowed to set in class. And I think there's a lot of gray area here. And I think that's where you could see many changes depending on which teachers you're talking to, or you might not see any at all. And I think it's so unclear, at least to me, in my cursory reading of some of these changes. But as you mentioned, this comes as 
education has been in the spotlight for the last couple of years as conservatives take aim at DEI initiatives and the way that tougher topics like race and history and civics are taught in schools. And it puts even more pressures on teachers in terms of what they are and are not allowed to say and how they're allowed to frame different issues in class. Um, and yeah, I'll be curious to see whether this leads to a chilling effect in classrooms as a lot of education groups have warned about. So Tammy, uh, here's a couple examples of the apparently alternative prep for educational leaders program. That's what they call the program. Um, these are haven't been voted on yet, but these are what they're proposing. Uh, safeguard, they, they want to safeguard and promote the values of democracy, individual freedom, and responsibility. But they want to eliminate the words equity, social justice, community, and diversity with the word fairness. Um, it, it, it's, it, it just feels like, well, what does it say to you? Forget about my words. So at first, uh, as we tend to do in political science, let's operationalize our terms or let's define them. Uh, so woke uh, does not mean what the conservatives today thinks it, that it means. Uh, to be woke, uh, which was coined by Erica Badu in 2008, and some seminates of it, um, Spike Lee's movie, A School Days, that was filmed here on the AUC campus at the end when they said, wake up, or even Gil Scott Heron um, with uh, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. And all that means is to be vigilant, to be aware, to understand what is going on around you um, and not be distracted by you know foolishness that comes one's way um, to, to get you off of your game so that that you can be gaslit. That is all that means. So the piling on um, to create emotion, particularly uh, amongst their electorate, uh, to get them more involved in, and because the country um, is evolving in a way, um, that's all that is. It's a scare tactic to drive folks um, into partisan corners, to ideology corners, um, and, and to like, create this wedge between us and the United States. So, Amy, um, let's go beyond just this teacher prep program and talk about this whole notion of woke uh, that is going to be a byword for Republicans uh, in the 2024 election uh, cycle. What's ironic about it is that polling suggests that very few uh, voters out there, potential voters, think about woke one way or the other. And it's interesting, I, Jamel Bowie, the New York Times columnist, uh, wrote about woke this morning, and he particularly focused on on a video in which Ron DeSantis apparently is uh, talking direct to camera or giving some sort of uh, talk to an audience that you can't see in the video. Um, but he says this: he worries about the woke mind virus. That's the quote which he calls, quote, a form of cultural Marxism that tries to divide us based on identity politics. And Bowie suggests that it's kind of, there's no way to make sense of that sentence, <laughs> you know. There were a lot of buzzwords that were utilized <laughs> in that sentence. It is unclear what they all mean together, but I think more broadly, right, Campaigning, we know this from so many studies that unfortunately the best way to sort of mobilize voters, to mobilize partisans 
is to suggest <laughs> that there is a threat. It is not with sort of positivity. It is not with, um, unfortunately, right, really even policy. It's about there's a threat. I'm going to protect you from the threat. And threat mobilization, the suggestion of division and groups uh, and sort of cultural wedges going all the way back to Nixon's campaigns, uh, right, and going forward from there, we know that these work. And so we see capitalizing. So this is just the newest iteration of it, right, of capitalizing on the sort of cultural wedge issues of trying to utilize a word that lots of people aren't really sure what it means, that it sort of suggests otherness or sort of thing that it can be used as a way to do that. And more broadly, if I could actually just one thing, the thing, the part about the teacher standards, the one that I'm most concerned about, right? So I'm obviously like the idea that they're taking out sort of all of these words, but it's where they've gone through in a couple places and they've taken out the word diverse, which just simply means different and replaced it with all, particularly with teacher planning. Here's the problem. It is one thing when you say that you're going to select instructional goals that are suitable for diverse students, because that means that you're recognizing that not all the students in your classroom are the same. And so therefore you have an obligation as a teacher to teach to all of them. When you say that you're going to select something which is suitable for all, you're now saying you're picking one and you don't care that there's differences. You don't care. I'm going to use kindergarten. My mom used to teach kindergarten that some of the kids walk into your classroom already reading on a fourth or fifth grade level, but another section of them don't have a clue what any of the letters are and have never heard the ABC song, right? Teaching to a diverse set of students and having goals that are suitable for diverse students means that you recognize that you've got to teach to all of them. When you say all, you now actually possibly have prevented the schools from being able to address those differential uh, learning opportunities. And that's the part that's actually truly frightening. Thank you for that, Jim. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, no, no. I'm, I myself am, am puzzled about the, what, what's the difference between welcoming and inclusive, you know, and, and why do you have to sub, uh, substitute one for the other? But I, I would point out, uh, Bill, this is this something. This goes back to the 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 the, the early '90s and in in the Newt Gingrich era and 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 Frank Luntz, who was was pretty much the pioneer in picking out specific words. That could be that could be used as as uh, as as uh, as kind of uh, uh, if tr- trigger, to trigger demonize, words, if you will, to to, to, to de- yeah. demonize the other side, and 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 what what the G, what the what what conservatives and the GOP have, have become very good at is taking the 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 jargon, the buzzwords of liberals, grabbing them and re-identifying them. And 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 for for their own purposes, uh, uh, I, I mean DEI, CRT, uh, woke. I mean all, all of those. They have they create their own definition. It's it's it's, it's almost like like uh, uh, defining a candidate before he gets a chance to define himself. And and you know it, it seems to me that it, that you know if you're if you're if you're if you're on the left, if you're a progressive, you you might start thinking about using jargon less and use using ideas more as 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 a means of countering this uh you don't always have to use the phrase diversity uh, equity inclusiveness 
there are other terms for that, and you can with without without uh, without giving your your opponent something to to to, to shoot uh, you with. Tomorrow, I want to look at the other side of this, um, because it is certainly true that those who, uh, on the right who want to use woke as a way to demonize the left, they do get help from liberal communities in in some cases it, from political correctness. So. A perfect example is Stanford University's IT community has put together a list of offensive words that they worked on for a very long time and that they want eliminated from uh, university language. Um, One of those words, American, according to the Stanford Guide. And, And the reason they want it eliminated is, quote, this term often refers to people from the United States only thereby insinuating that the U.S. is the most important country in the Americas, which is actually made up of 42 countries. That's ammunition for, for, for the right. And, and there is a political correctness move on the left that some people who consider themselves progressives are uncomfortable with. Yeah, and it's something I hear my progressive friends talk about is sometimes, you know, progressives want to make the the good the enemy of the perfect. And, you know, you see even the language on social media talking about a lot of these Stanford words, you know, that walk-in hours, they say walk-in is, is ableist. Um, and it does, I think, it, it makes it harder for people on the left to refute. Um and Republicans have been able to use all of this to really great effect. I'm from Virginia. Uh, Virginia now has a Republican governor, Glenn Youngkin, who was able to really come from behind and win in a state that many people thought was very safely democratic using ideas like this. So it's not only people on the far right, but it's also centrists who kind of relate to feeling like they can't talk about things and, and have been attracted to arguments like this. Um, Jim, uh, you pointed out to me, and and I want to get uh, Tammy, I really want to hear your thoughts on this, an example of why teaching diversity in our schools is a pretty good idea. We we saw a report in the AJC this morning that uh, the soccer team from Paidea, which is now uh, one of the top soccer uh, teams in the state, competing in a match um, against a school in Rome, uh, the the Black players on the team were subjected to racist taunts by the uh, team from Rome. Uh, they were uh, treated physically uh, in, in kind of rough ways, they claim. There's now been a complaint filed with the Georgia High School Association. Um, and that's you, you thought that that is a perfect example of why we really ought to be talking about diversity and respecting it in our schools. Right, right. You don't you don't have to call it CRT. You can you can call you you, you can call it humanity, if you like. Uh, humaneness, kindness. Uh, there are are all sorts of words that you that the you know and and you can you can put that put that that incident uh, in in the uh, in in its historical contest, especially in the South. You know, you can, you can, you can, this is why history is, it, it's so important to, to teach uh, the history that, uh, you know, that maybe in Florida, they, they don't want taught. 
Uh, by the way, Tammy, we should say the principal of the school in Rome has said uh, that he is going to follow up on this. He's not letting this go. So I want to be clear that the school is concerned about what appears to have unfolded on the uh, uh, on the pitch in this match. Sure, Bill. But um, two things, though. The first is um, that uh, the division starts young. Um, and so while the principal may be doing uh, the best that the principal is able to do um, in that controlled environment, there's still uh, much to do out in the community um, that says that this type of behavior is okay. And the second point, Bill, is I actually want to go back to Ron DeSantis. And when he talked about uh, this democracy, this democracy in the United States is built on diversity. So it is very interesting to me um, how he's using the, the term democracy and who's able to participate because one could infer the way that he is um, discussing a democracy and participating in government is that to Amy's point, it's about a one and not an all. So it's very uh, fascinating to me to see how all of this is going to play out, particularly when you think about the soccer team think about the newness that is coming in or the uh, evolution of the South, particularly here in Georgia, um, and uh, the friction that is being created again by distraction, uh, which is why the term, you know, being vigilant um, and participating in this democracy is so important. All right. Uh, Tammy Greer gets the last word in this segment of Political Rewind. I appreciate that conversation. Uh, with uh, all of you. Uh, Let's do this. Let's take a break. When we come back, there's a new development in the story that we've been following closely of uh, concerns about the building of the planned Atlanta Police Training Center. We'll do that and more after these messages. word about the re- the rest of the week on uh, Political Rewind. We've got, you know, we, we talk about politics virtually every day, but every now and then we like to do special topic shows. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to do a show about a word or a term that you hear all the time. I do. I don't know a lot about it, and I wanted to find out. What is chat GPT? What is artificial intelligence? How is it going to help the world? How is it going to destroy the world, according to some people? We're going to be talking to two Georgia, State, uh, Georgia Tech uh, computer professors who know it uh, well. Uh, on Thursday, we're going to do another in our series of shows on um, uh, thought leaders in Georgia and beyond. And we're going to be talking to one of the most highly respected, beloved ministers in uh, Georgia, the Reverend Dr. Joanna Adams. I ask her about, tell us about God. Um, Tell us about prayer. Tell us about your path to spiritual enlightenment. And then on Friday, and Jim Galloway, this is a show you'll be especially interested in, we're talking with MIT media professor Heather Hendershot, who has written a remarkable book about the 1968 Democratic Convention in Chicago, how the media reacted to what was happening on the streets and in the convention hall, and how it began, in her words, a completely different attitude about the media, which prevails and persists to this day. So all those really interesting shows coming up for the rest of this week. And we'll be back to politics, of course, uh, starting uh, early next week as well. All right. Tamar Hallerman, um, 
a, a group of, I think, six Democratic state legislators from Atlanta have now sent the Department of Justice a letter saying that they think DOJ needs to investigate the shooting death of uh, Manuel Turan. Uh, they go by the they went by the nickname of Tortuguila. And, and the reason they think it's important is that there are two conflicting autopsies. DeKalb County, where the shooting took place, um, released an autopsy which showed no gunshot residue on Turan's hands, but didn't rule out the possibility that he, in fact, fired first. One, a, a state trooper was, was wounded in the shooting uh, by a gun that Turan did own. Um, but a private autopsy uh, suggests that perhaps the officers fired first. I, we don't know where this is all headed, but we do know it's going to continue the controversy and, and ramp up as it moves forward, all of the opposition to this center. And these Democratic lawmakers argue that by getting DOJ involved, maybe they can provide some sort of definitive account of what might have happened. And I understand why they're doing this. There's been so much confusion and distrust about what occurred, folks' agendas, um, what really happened and what the goals really are. But I wonder if really getting a DOJ accounting will really help. I mean, whoever loses will say that this is, you know, it's totally biased and they were missing information. And I mean, one thing is clear is just how much distrust has been whipped up by all of this. And I'm starting to doubt whether any actor could get involved that could help fix the situation at this point. It just feels like it's so broken um and that no one trusts anyone in this situation and maybe that we won't ever see a truly accurate rendering of what happened in the death of manuel Tehran or any of the many of the situations that have occurred surrounding the police training center jim uh the uh, uh the autopsy released by the decab county coroner's office the official autopsy determined quote Gunpowder residue was not seen on Turan's hands, which um, many who believe that Turan was shot um, without uh, provocation uh, undermines the original reports from GBI that that Turan shot at the officer. But but we have learned that it turns out that um, an autopsy can't necessarily show that there was gunpowder. You can't necessarily see gunpowder residue uh, with the naked eye. Now, I don't know if they've done other kinds of studies yeah, or not. They're, they're, yeah, the GBI says that they've taken samples from 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 from, uh, uh, from the, the victim's hands and they, they found evidence of, of, of gun residue. Uh, I, I, but I think we need to take a step back here and, and, and see why uh, one reason why all this is happening is is and this is something unique to I think to 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 the to to Governor Brian Kemp's administration is that and but but we've seen it we've seen it else in in other states under under Republican governors you've seen a lot of 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 state the of the state becoming involved in local law enforcement uh that that you that you have that you have uh uh in this case you had you had a a a, a troop of state patrol officers uh, going into this, and it, that's not that's not something you would normally that that, that that in the past we would normally see, 
And what that does is it, it, it what 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 state involvement has done in this case, it's removed the state's role, uh, traditional role as an arbiter in these cases, as 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 a as somebody who can stand between the victim and the and and and, and law enforcement and and come out with some with a with a with a with a finding that's uh, that that's that's uh, that has that has weight. And, and hence, you've got these lawmakers going to the feds. Uh, but but we, I think we should realize what 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 what's really really different about this. All right, so we're going to watch how that unfolds, whether DOJ decides they do want to investigate or not. But we we've only got a few minutes left, and I want to take up one other subject. And Amy, again, your uh, uh, expertise on on the courts, I think, comes into play here. Let let me set the stage. About last year, the North Carolina General Assembly, or before the 2022 elections, they drew up maps that uh, were highly gerrymandered in favor of Republicans. Those maps went to what was then a democratically controlled, by democratically, I mean Democratic Party state control of the Supreme Court there. That court said the maps were illegal and that the maps were not representative of the, the diversity of districts and therefore had to be thrown out. They were. Well, since then, Republicans have uh, been elected to take control of the state Supreme Court. And on their own, they decided to review the previous court's decision that the maps were illegal. And they said, you know what? They weren't illegal after all. Um, we're going to stick with the original Republican uh, maps. Amy, here's the question, without getting into the mud on this or the dirt. Uh, it's another example of people's concerns about the politicization of our courts. Yes, it is difficult to see the most recent decision as anything but driven by a change in who is sitting on the court which therefore makes it seem as though it does matter what judge you go to. And it does matter what, particularly in a state that has partisan judicial elections, whether or not there's an R or a D after their name. And it is concerning because it does suggest, right? I mean, we, we would like law. I mean, I'm a political scientist, right? So law is not neutral in many ways. But at the same time, we would hope that once the law itself is written, Right. That we would read that and it would be applied in a fair and unbiased manner. Right. And that sort of it's irrelevant sort of which way it is going. The concern here, of course, is that it feels very much as though you had a Democratic court objecting because it was going to be a whole bunch of additional Republican uh, districts. That map was struck down and a bunch of Democrats won office. You now have a Republican court saying, no, 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 we really like the Republican map and we would like Republicans to win. And that does cut at sort of the core of what the court is supposed to be doing and is really concerning. And it speaks really to broader issues that are going on right now about trust in the courts, about the degree to which a change in composition is leading this and also all of the ethics issues that we're seeing coming up as well. Tomorrow, real quickly, um, we got to point out here, we're talking about both Democrats in control at one point, favoring maps that would give Democrats more power, and then Republicans say, this isn't one-sided. We need to make that very clear. No. I mean, what makes North Carolina so interesting is is just how 
even it is. If you look at popular vote in North Carolina, it's pretty close to 50-50. So when you look at these maps and the fact that it could lead to as many, I think, as four additional Republican congressmen, um, it goes to show just how skewed some of these maps are. Um, I We're out of time. Uh, and so Tamar Hallerman gets the last word on today's show. Uh, Tamar, thank you so much for being with us. Tammy Greer, uh, congratulations on getting through the school year again, and we're thrilled your seniors have been watching the last part of the show. Jim Galloway, Amy Steigerwald, we'll see you both again very soon. I'm Bill Nygut, back with a new show tomorrow. In the meantime, please take care, stay healthy, and be good to one another. Please. Bye-bye.